0: The following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: I thinking this morning like, that as when I stood before you, I'd, I'd say, boy, I, I sure know a lot about a lot of these people, because we've got a history with this church, and and I got fearful thinking, but a lot of them know a lot about me as well. Um, I say if you get anxious and, you're, and you're, you're speaking, what you need to do is look out and imagine that the audience is, is naked, and then it just kind of gives you a smile, and you don't have to take away your anxiety. And I don't have to imagine that for many of you. <laughs> <So>. Okay. <clears throat> Well, let's let's pray. Almighty God, we are uh, here together now, Um, some for different reasons and with uh, various expectations. We pray that you would now in your sovereignty take over these next minutes and through your word speak to each one of us. I pray that you'd use me to give out your word faithfully and uh, truthfully so that you can accomplish what uh, you have uh, desired might happen at this moment in history. And as we now each purpose to listen and have open minds and hearts, would you reveal um, yourself to us again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I want to thank the people who put together the song of how beautiful and appropriate were the, the hymns of worship. Um, uh, for this particular um, study of the Word of God. As Pastor Clark said, my name is, uh, is Bob Hill. My wife, uh, Michaeline is up front here. We're from Wisconsin. We've been married 32 and a half years. We've been in, in Utah for 32 years. Our children um, attended Intermountain Christian School, and we are grateful uh, to this church for your ministry of Christian education. Um, it meant a lot and still means a lot to us and to many other uh, people, Christian people, in, in this valley. Uh, my son Christopher actually helped lay the floor of this room that we're now meeting in. Uh, if you remember, some of you who've been here a long time, how quickly the move was from Fortuna School up in the in the uh, bench area down to this building. Our kids have all moved away, and we are uh, now empty nesters. Uh, I practice medicine at the Olympus Clinic, not very far from here, and have been there for 27 years. How is it that I am? Um, Uh, Speaking before you uh, this morning, let me tell you a little of my uh, story. Um, After she became a Christian, my mother decided that uh, her oldest son should be a pastor. Um, It's kind of like in the Old Testament, you know, the the firstborn son is dedicated back to the Lord. So she always had that in her mind and mentioned it to me, and and I wanted um, no part of that. It didn't sound like much fun, to be honest with you. much later in life, uh, one day my wife suggested that I go to a, a Bible study fellowship and, uh, and later accept a, a position as a discussion leader in that, in that group. Um, I wasn't very interested in that either. I was very busy, had a lot going on uh, professionally in the church. But in time, I decided to agree to do what my wife suggested. Uh, there's principles there about mothers and wives. And, and why. Then a little bit later, a very diminutive Texas lady suggested that I take over leadership of Men's Bible Study Fellowship here here in Salt Lake City, and I said that I couldn't. I was uh, much too busy, and I, I couldn't do it. And she said, yes, you can. Uh, if God calls you to a ministry, he will provide. And uh, I've been doing that ministry now for a little over 20 years. That's basically how I came to be before you uh, here this morning. So let me tell you from the onset, if you have questions or if you don't like what you hear, you can blame my mother, my wife, (laughs) Rosemary, or you can blame God because God was behind it all and it's God's word that we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, Last Sunday in church, I, I heard a sermon preached by a former teacher at Intermountain Christian School. Some of you probably remember him. His name is Randy Bumer. He was an art teacher. Uh, maybe, maybe most of you don't, but some of you do. He just graduated from seminary. He's going to take a call in the San Juan Islands in Washington State. He spoke on Jesus' parable of the ten virgins, the ones that went out to meet the, the bridegroom. It's a, it's a parable really about uh, judgment. Um, you don't need to know the whole story, but in that parable, um, five of the virgins are wise and five of the, fools, uh, the virgins are, are foolish. Five had oil for their lamps, and and five of them didn't have oil. Um, Five were allowed into the wedding feast. Uh, The wedding feast represented the kingdom of God or heaven, um, salvation. uh, And five were not allowed into that wedding feast. Now, to those who were not given entrance, the bridegroom who represented Jesus, he didn't say... um, you know, sorry gals, tough luck, too bad you didn't have the oil because now you're out. And and he didn't say, you didn't prepare well. He didn't say, you're late and so you can't get in. He didn't say anything like that. To the bridegroom he said this. He said, in the NIV it says, I tell you the truth. King James is verily, verily, which means this is very important. I tell you the truth, I don't know you. I don't know you. That was their problem. They didn't know him. They did not have a relationship. If they had a relationship with him, uh, they would have been prepared. The Bridegroom said, I don't know you. Now, Jesus, as he prayed to God the Father before he was crucified, said this about those who was about to die. He said, now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and know me, Jesus Christ, who you have sent. Jesus related eternal life to knowledge, to knowing. People at one time were debating who Jesus was. Some said he was John the Baptist returned from the dead. Some said he was Jeremiah or Elijah or a prophet. And Jesus said to his disciples, "Now, who do you, who do you think, say that I am?" And Simon Peter blurted out correctly. He said, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." We basically he was saying, "We know that you're the Messiah." And Jesus said this, and it is extremely interesting and extremely important. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. The knowledge of who Jesus was was something revealed to Simon Peter from God himself. And my first point is this. um, I'm going to give you some principles and some points. This is one, if you've got a pencil, worth writing down. To be saved, that is to possess eternal life, we must know God. To be saved, we must know God. And to know God, God needs to do some revealing. To be saved, we need to know God, and to know God, God needs to do some revealing. Why is that? Well, that's kind of a tangent, but, but basically God is spirit. God is infinite. He's eternal. He's holy. He's wise. He's sinless. He transcends um, all that He has created, and we're really nothing like that. You know, We're mere mortals. Um, in fact, we do oftentimes think quite highly of ourselves, and we are the pinnacle of God's creative work, But the fact of the matter is we are unable to know God without His help. And so we have Psalm 19. Uh, Psalm 19 is in your bulletin insert. The words are there. I'm going to refer to them if you'd follow along. There's also an outline on the back. Psalm 19 is about the revelation of God to man, something that we all need. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. Let me read verse 1 again. The heavens really do declare the glory of God. And the skies, they're proclaiming the work of his hands. What we learn here is that God has revealed to us, to all of us who can see, he has revealed visually uh, his glory. Um, God's glory has to do with his character, his, his attributes, who he is, what, he, what he's like. And we're told here that it is through what he has created. Verse 1 says it's through the work of his hands. Now that means that what we see in nature tells us something about god who created it and it's interesting here that the psalm writer here it's it's david says um, look up he says look up and see the glory of god now who is it that can look up and can see the beauty and and who is it that can see actually the glory of god in the skies well amongst all of creation it's us it's it's mankind it's you and me Uh, we can do that um Animals don't. If you think about the animal kingdom, the animal kingdom looks downward. Uh, Birds, birds flying in the air, they're not looking up, they're looking down. Uh, Bugs, I've never seen a bug look up. Um, Fish, they're interesting. Uh, I know some of of your members aren't here because they're fishing, because I know them. Um, Fish are mainly looking down. It's only rare that they look up to see what's on the surface of the water and They don't look up to the skies. Um, All other satient life looks down, but you and I walk upright to gaze, specifically to gaze upon the glory of God. What a privilege God has given us as the pinnacle of his creative work. Um, Matthew Henry expands that thought. He says this, uh, Man has this advantage above the beast in the structure of his body. That whereas they, the beasts, are made to look downward as their spirits must go, he, that is man, you and I, is made, to, is made erect to look upwards. Why? Because upwards his spirit must shortly go, a little future, and his thoughts should rise now. That's what we did when we worshipped God in those wonderful hymns. Our thoughts rose to God in worship. So we walk on two feet and we're made to look upon and see the glory of God revealed in what he has created. Um, we don't often do that, I, I guess. Uh, maybe, maybe most often we're not involved in doing that, looking up and seeing the glory of God. I think we're too busy. I, I know I get too, too self-absorbed, and, and my vision is about like here at the TV monitor or, or maybe the computer or, or maybe weeding my garden or things like that. Um, my mother once said something like this. This was after my father had died. Uh, she said, uh, Sometimes I've found out that God has to knock us down uh, on our backs before we actually do begin to look up at him to see him. So the heavens declare the glory of God. There's, there's a difference, by the way, between looking and, and seeing, and, and by that I mean seeing with, with understanding. Um, we're to look at what God has created and then we're to think and we're to think about or to therefore and thereafter meditate upon what God is trying to reveal to us through what he has created. very logical. God wants each one of us here today to do that to look up and think. In fact, um, and, and hold on here for a second, pay close attention God in fact holds us all responsible to do just that. To think to look at the skies and to think about Him. Listen to, listen to this. This is from Romans chapter 1, verse 18. <clears throat> it says the wrath of God is being revealed against heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19 Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's infinite qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what he has made so that men are without excuse. Men are, we are without excuse. God says that when we look at nature and we look up and gaze towards the heavens, those of us who can see and those of us who can think, we're expected to come to the conclusion that God exists And a little later on in Romans, that God is therefore to be worshipped, just by looking at creation. How so so is that? How do we logically come to that conclusion, that God exists and that he is worthy of being worshipped? Well, I like going through this. In BSF, we're going to do Romans next year, so I thought a little bit about this in preparation. When we look around at what's going on in nature... We all very easily and and very clearly see that in nature there is what we call cause and effect. We live our lives depending on cause and effect. Uh, If we see something, some object, or we see something happen in nature, in time and space, we know that there is a reason um, for that happening. Sometimes we try and figure figure it out. Uh, Anything we see, touch, taste, feel, we know that something has caused for that to happen, for us to experience it. Uh, we, we think things out. We say, uh, for example, in, in time of space, in space, there must have been something that caused what I am now uh, experiencing. And we also realize, and, and, and we sense and experience that what is now wasn't always like this. There's always change. Things change. For example, the sun and the moons, there must have been something that caused them to exist. Uh, and to experience what they are going through day after day. Again, there's, there's cause and effect. We experience that every day in our natural lives. And from what we observe in nature, um, Romans tells us, God tells us through Paul through the writing of the book of Romans, we must conclude that the cause of creation must be living because we know as we look at nature that dead things don't beget living things. Your rock will never become something living. It takes life to beget life. And we also must conclude that the cause of what we see must be powerful and, and intelligent because as we see and we study and we look at um, the complexity and the intricacy and the detailed and the interrelationship of, of, our, of creation, um, we must know logically and are expected to assume and deduce that this living person is also wise and powerful. All this what we experience in our lives just couldn't have happened, and things are not always as they are now. Therefore, there must have been an initial cause. In fact, God says in Romans, it's so obvious from nature that there is a cause, a living, powerful, intellectual cause, that you and I Here today are responsible to seek after that cause and find him and worship him. Well, David here in Psalm 19 talks about these acts of God's creation. He writes, "The skies proclaim the work of His hands." And basically, David is saying, "God, you you created this all. You're the creator." Now, what I find compelling and even overwhelming in this arena um, and what supports the truth of Romans is the fact that people who don't necessarily even believe in God, there are people out there who are looking for this same cause. Um, There's been some very interesting science about God's act in creation. I mean, God gives it to us very simply in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Astronomers and astrophysicists, they're trying to figure this all out. And there is, in fact now, data that dates back to what the scientists call uh, the Big Bang. Let me share you with this. Um, This is from a book from a guy named Bill Bryson. Some of you may have seen it. It's called A Short History of Nearly Everything. He seems to be uh, an inquisitive and an honest and and an open-minded man looking for facts. He went to some of the top scientists and he asked them, he said, what do we know about the beginning of things? You know, what do we know about the cause of, 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 of this, of, of what we're experiencing? Um, and they said, well, we know that there was this kind of a big bang sudden event. Um, we know that because there's evidence, left some, some microwaves. And he, he, he talked to more of them and got more information. And I just want to read you just, just a paragraph. Says this: Although everyone calls it the Big Bang, many books caution us not to think of it as an explosion in the conventional sense. It was rather a vast, sudden expansion on a whopping scale. And then he asks this question: So what caused it? You know, that's what God says we're responsibly for looking for. One notion is that perhaps, now, I have to tell you, the, the sciences there was a time when there was nothing, and they've given a term to nothingness. The term for nothingness is singularity. Okay? One notion is perhaps the singularity or the nothingness was a relic of an earlier collapsed universe, and that we're just one of an eternal cycle of expanding, collapsing universes, like the bladder on an oxygen machine. Others attribute the Big Bang to what they call a false vacuum or a scalar field or, quote, vacuum energy. Now, listen to this. Some quality or thing, at any rate, that introduced a measure of instability into the nothingness. Okay, now just imagine nothing and nothing somehow becoming unstable. There's nothing but it's okay. Here's the the, the main summary statement that he gives, honestly. He says, it seems impossible that you could get something from nothing, but the scientific fact that once there was nothing, and now there's a universe, it's evident proof that you can. Genesis 1 says God created the heavens and the earth. I think it takes more faith to think that everything is here because nothing decided to somehow destabilize than it is to say God created the heavens and the earth. I had a, a slide on density, but I don't have time to go through that. Anyway, God's word says to to us today, he says, it's plain to see that there was and there is a living force behind what we see uh, all around us uh, because we all know that um, effects have causes and science is looking for them. And we must accept that fact. And according to Romans, not suppress it. Why would someone want to suppress the fact of there being a creator? Well, the answer is that if there actually is a creator God, then that means that we are created beings and we are therefore not in control of our own lives. The creator maintains and retains the right of rulership and control. And we basically uh, don't like that idea. And we don't like, we don't want God's authority over us. Basically, it's our own pride. Okay, so we learn from nature that there is a cause. You can write that one down. Okay. The cause is God. Another thing we learn from nature is that there are laws of nature and that if you break a law of nature, there's going to be consequences. We all know that. That That is very clear. So from nature... As we look at the skies, we look at nature around us, we learn two things that begin with the letter C. The one is is cause, there's a cause, and the second is that there are consequences or punishment to breaking laws. Okay? Very simple. If you disregard or try to break the law of gravity by flapping your arms when you jump off the roof, you will suffer the consequences of breaking something besides a law. Okay? There are laws of agriculture. If you fertilize too much or water too little, uh, the crops will die. There's laws of physics. There's laws of um, architecture. You know, If you don't do it just right, if you disobey those laws, um, the building falls over and you suffer the consequences or the punishment. Lose your job, get fined, whatever. There are laws of health. If you abuse your body with drugs or alcohol or food or sleep deprivation or whatever, you will suffer consequences. So the, so the point from nature, then, the truth is that there is punishment for breaking laws. God's Word, the Bible says that if you look around, you look at the skies, and you think about what is obvious, you must conclude that God exists, and you must also conclude that there is punishment for breaking laws. Now, that may be a little deeper than you want to go, um, actually, um, uh, if so let me tell you we're actually going to go a little deeper than that just in a little bit about this knowledge and revelation and responsibility but let me just stop for a minute because um, as a christian i just love i love the hymns we sang and i love the verses the heavens declare the glory of god the skies really do proclaim the work of god and day after day they display his his glory um i yesterday i was up at a, a wedding up in uh, at alta Elta lodge and we're talking about how beautiful it is. And I looked up and there were the mountains and the grass and the rocks and the blue sky and the, and the, and, and the clouds. And, and I was standing next to a Christian. I said, you know, um, the heavens declare the glory of God. And we can appreciate that here and now, right now. But I love, I love to look at the sky. I love to drive. I love especially to drive to Idaho. Uh, last trip, my wife and I took to Idaho. We left at 8 o'clock at night. And the, the sun was setting in, in the west. There was alpine glow to the mountains on the east. Um, areas of clouds, areas of clear sky, um, different thicknesses of clouds, different colors, different um, hues and intensity and shades. It was, it was glorious. And, I, and I, I drove one time from, from here back to Wisconsin. And the way you drive from Salt Lake City to Wisconsin is you, it takes about two minutes to get on I-80, and you, and you head east, and then you turn left at Iowa. <laughs> that's, that's the simple it is, and I did that once. We had the kids were sleeping. It was morning when we got to Iowa, and the sun was coming up. And it was springtime the, the The dirt was black, the trees were light green it was it was just just unbelievable. I mean, for me to look up and see in the quietness of the morning early morning or late evening it's, it's a rush I mean it's I almost, almost woke everybody up. I think maybe maybe did wake up, wake up Mike Lean because it was so beautiful. It, I mean, it's, it's thrilling. It's exciting. It's, it makes a person happy. It's glorious, but it's even more than glorious. God's Word tells us that it displays God's glory. Wow. I thought I'd write down specifically for myself how, how God's glory is displayed as we look in the sky. You know, the, the heavens show us that God actually transcends his glory. His creation, he, he, He's sovereign over it. You know, think about it, we're just tiny, nothing, short period of time compared to the glory of God in the heavens. Now, the heavens show us how God perfectly and quietly and peacefully begins and ends each day. God is faithful in that He keeps everything in the heavens just perfect so that we can have seasons. Perfect distances between planets, the sun, the moon, earth, perfect angles of rotation, perfect rotation speed. God is perfect. Um, we are dependent upon the sun rising and setting. This earth needs the heat. You know, God is dependable. We need light to live. God brings spiritual light into the darkness of, of, our, of our day, spiritual darkness. God has a perfect path, and, a, and it says, talk, talks about the plan of God, God's move of the sun from, from the east to the west. Um, Hebrews 12 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race set out for us. Just as God has a plan and a path and a purpose for the sun every day, he's got a plan and a purpose for us. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us run with perseverance that race set out for us. Let me share this with you. I came across it. Uh, during the French Revolution, uh, Jean Bon St. André, I guess, he's a, he was a French revolutionist atheist. During the French Revolution, he said this to a peasant. He said, quote, I will have all your steeples pulled down that you may no longer have any object by which you may be reminded of your old superstition. He, he's talking about tearing down the churches destroying his Christian belief. But, replied the peasant, you cannot help leaving us the stars. Isn't that beautiful? The heavens declare the glory of God. So God reveals to us uh, in his creation some, er- some, uh, some aspects of his character, uh, and that's good, but God has also chosen to reveal himself to, to mankind, to you and I, In another way, and it's actually a better way. It's a a more important way. This may be the second most important point of this morning. We need more than just generalities about cause and consequences. We need more than just the generalities that there is a cause and that there are consequences to broken law. We need more, and so God in his goodness gives us more. And that's verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous God reveals himself to us through nature we understand that there's a cause we understand there's consequences but we need to know more so God gives us his word we're responsible to seek him we're responsible to worship him we know there are consequences and now there are these laws. It's a, it's a good thing that God gives us his laws. Now, um, we have certain natural responses to words like laws, rules, limits, commands, and ordinances. And the younger you are, the more, <laughs> the more you respond, I guess. Uh, the more vocal your response. We don't like other people. We certainly, even as adults, don't like uh, other institutions telling us what we can and cannot do. Uh, Adam and Eve, nothing new. Adam and Eve didn't like it either. Um, rebelliousness is, is a part of our, our nature from the fall. We think, we think a little, I've got a one-year-old. I just turned one yesterday. My son, for a while they think that rebelliousness is kind of cute. I mean, maybe up to age one, but after that it's not cute anymore. Rebellion against God is bad and rebellion against God is, is stupid. Uh, the laws of God our creator are, are good because God is good and God desires to, to, to bless people, basically. The greatness and goodness and beauty of God that we see in, in nature in the sky is also seen in God's desire to bless his people by instructing them, by instructing you and I how we're to live uh, in, in the time we have on this world and live um, successfully, and victoriously. Who, who would know better how we're to live our lives and give us laws than God who created us? It's logical. Yeah. Who would you trust, a pop psychologist or God? Yeah. Most people are pop psychologists. So throughout his word, throughout the Bible, that's why we study and you study the word of God in this church. Throughout his word, God tells us how we're to live our lives in relationship, first of all, to him, and then also in relationship to our fellow man. It's, God, it's called God's moral law. Um, and, and if you just want to go over it every now and then, just read the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, and then read the Sermon on the Mount. Sometimes we get into you know, these different thoughts and arguments about some issues that aren't that important. The law of God is important. Maybe we have to spend time reading Exodus Chapter 20, the law of God, and read what Jesus comments on it in the Sermon on the Mount more more often. And if you go to those references, and if you meditate upon upon what God tells us to do, and then if you apply it to your life, then God says this through David, and here are some different consequences. These are good consequences. Verse 7, your soul will be renewed. Verse 7 says if you do that, over the Ten Commandments. Read the Sermon on the Mount. It says you will become wise. Verse 8, your heart will become joyful. Verse 8, the light bulb of understanding and truth is going to go on in your mind. You say, wow, this is true. And verse 9, you will will develop an awe and a respect for God. And that's something eternal. That's something that lasts forever. Verse 9. That's the upside. That's, That's the blessing of God's law and the blessing for us individually, the obedience to to God's law. God God wants to bless us, not stifle us. Um, Two days ago, I got uh, in the mail, I got a letter and an invitation uh, from a man who wants to bless me as well. It was fancy. It came in two envelopes and it had gold around the edge. He wants to help me, quote, secure my financial future. Um, I've met some other people who want to bless me by diversifying my portfolio. Uh, I have people who want to bless me in my retirement and then even bless me in my death by keeping my money away from the government. (laughs) They want to bless me. God purposes to bless a little different here. God says it's through knowing and keeping his commands that I will truly be blessed because verse 10 it says they're more precious than gold verse 10 says than much pure gold and certainly a diversified portfolio why well verse look at verse 11 it says by these by these laws and commands given in his book your servant is warned part of the reason we have the bible is for god to warn us you know he says, hey, don't do this or that. Just don't do it. Don't envy, don't covet, don't lust, don't mess around. Uh, don't get angry. I mean, this is the Ten Commandments. Don't say bad things. Don't trust in yourself. God warns us through his word. And so we're kept from suffering the consequence, even in this life. Um, we're kept from some degree of suffering by following God's, knowing God's law and, and obeying it. <clears throat> That's one of the way God blesses us. Life is a lot easier for us when we're not enduring the consequences of, ba- of breaking God's law. Life is easier for us when we're not enduring the consequences of the punishment of breaking laws. I mean, I, I know that from experience um, in my own life, but also experience as a, as a, uh, as a physician. Um, I'm a doctor, and I've said this, to, and some of you have heard it before, but I tell people that if it weren't for stress sin and stupidity I'd be out of work it's true there's consequences to all those things and God tells us not to be stressed stupid and sin but it's good for business um, so God's way is to bless us by giving us laws that we're, we're to follow um, that's, and, and that's what we hear here in this church you know what man's way is do you know what the, the way of the world is? It just hit me two days ago. The way of the world is to disregard God, to do your own thing, to sin, and then to vaccinate yourself to prevent the consequences. Um, three nights ago, Michaeline and I went to an educational program which was a, a part of the launch of, of a vaccination program to immunize against the human papilloma virus. That's, that's the virus that causes cervical cancer and a certain type of wart that you don't want to hear about. Um, it will soon be offered, and in fact, it's going to be paid for 100% by the biggest local um, insurance company, and it's to be given to girls age 11 through 26, to prevent sexually transmitted diseases. (laughs) Today, man says, we don't need God's law and commands and we don't need to follow them. We just need pharmaceuticals and vaccinations to prevent the consequences and the punishment of breaking his law. It's crazy. Verse 11. By them, by these laws, your servant is warned in keeping them there is great reward. Who here doesn't want to be rewarded? I, mean, I, I want to be rewarded. Um, I'd like a long life. I'd like a long, healthy life. I'd like a long, healthy, wealthy life. I'd like a good paycheck and bonuses and abundant obedient family and no anxiety. Uh, but that's not what this verse, look at the verse very carefully, that's not what this verse talks about or promises. It says, quote, in keeping them, there is great reward. Keeping the laws of God. <clears throat> God says that the, the blessing, the blessing is in the act of obedience. Not necessarily the outcome, not necessarily the consequences of one's life. That's a bit different. That's, that's a bit deep. Um, Jesus' own disciples one day obeyed him perfectly when he he said, go put your boats out to the sea, and they nearly died in that storm, being perfectly obedient to uh, the law of God. Perfect obedience got them in some temporary trouble. Obedience to the law of God doesn't mean lack of storms, but obedience itself, the act of obeying what God tells you to do, is of great reward. And it's of it's great reward in, in that the person who knows God and who knows God's law and chooses to obey it, he can say in times of stress, he can say calmly and, and confidently, he can say, God, you know my heart. Uh, you know that I'm doing what your word says to do. Therefore, the ball's in your court. You're responsible and you're powerful and you're loving, and therefore I'm at peace. What greater reward is there in life than peace? There isn't. Well, in the final section here, uh, David responds. That's verses 12 through uh, 14. <clears throat> David has uh, seen God's power. He's seen God's greatness in nature. David has a knowledge of God's um, expectations and uh, commands of life through God's law. And when David puts these two things together, God's existence and God's law and holiness, he's undone. He. He confesses to being a sinner. He says, "I'm a breaker of that law of God." He's like like Isaiah, you know. Isaiah says, "I'm a man of unclean lips," or um, or or Saul, or or even Saint John. They're knocked on. So I'm a sinful man, based with the knowledge of who God is and God's law. The the Psalm writer David here says, "I'm, I'm undone. I'm, I'm a sinner." He said, my sin is open, my sin is, is, is closed. So, so he's infected with it. And no immunization can help. Let me give you the last principle. It's this. The more revelation we have of God, the more we see ourselves as sinners. The more revelation we have of God, the more we see ourselves as sinners. And the closer our relationship with God, the more our sin bothers us. The more we know God and the more we know about our condition as sinners, the more we know that we need a Savior. Earlier I said we, we all need to know God and, and God has to do some Revealing for that to, be, to, for that to happen. And God has revealed himself in two ways here. He's also revealed himself in other ways. God revealed himself at Mount Sinai in his wrath and anger, and hatred for sin. He revealed himself through the Old Testament substitutionary sacrificial system where he showed how he'd take care of man's problem of sin. He revealed himself on the Day of Atonement in Israel. Some of you know about that. The, the, the same thing. But then God revealed himself one day most clearly and most perfectly and most profoundly 2,000 years ago when God became man. At that time and uh, forever since, through this word, um, the world is given to see God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't a good man with, with just some good ideas. Jesus said this. He said, to hear me is to hear God. Jesus said, to see me is to have God revealed to you. The type said, show us the Father. Jesus said, I am the Father. Jesus said, if you want to know how God acts, then watch me. Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I'm perfectly in the will of God. Hebrews uh, 1 says the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. The, the, The best revelation of God is in the person of his Son, Jesus. Jesus revealed to us the holiness of God. Jesus never sinned. Jesus reveals the justice of our creator God. His life and his death showed us that sin had to be punished by a holy God a holy and just God. And Jesus revealed the love of God. He revealed that when he died on a cross for our sin, and and he suffered the consequences, and he suffered that punishment for the sins that we commit, for the breaking of the law of God that we do. And in doing so, he made it so that we can actually know God. So, as I am, let me ask you this. What will you now do with what God has revealed to you today? Um, Will you perhaps just, you know, look at the stars and the sky and the sunset and the sunrise a little differently? Um, That's good. Um, Will you maybe use your mind and seek after and worship the cause of, of all that you see and experience in this world. That's better. Yeah. Um, will you study God's word and law and allow it to convict you of sin? Not popular in our day. You know? And allow it to warn you. And, and finally, and, and of course most importantly, will you accept God's love? Will you accept what God has done um, for you To forgive you your sins. We accept him, the Lord Jesus, as your Lord and Savior. Understanding that from then on, he makes the rules. Finally, will you prioritize knowing the God who has done so much to reveal himself to you? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your revelation to us. We pray that you would uh, soften our hearts, uh, that each one of us might respond in just the way we need to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah.